technology and acquisition to citizen services and mission execution. A culture shift is underway with federal government leaders increasingly seeking out solutions that disrupt the way business has traditionally been done. Here we connect with those government and industry leaders driving this change and driving the real results in support of their agency mission. This is Keeping IT Brief. Being joined today by Samesh Sundarshwarn, the Vice President for the Health and Human Services Business Area at GDIT. Well, Samesh, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's start by having you tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at GDIT. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, uh, Marianne. And my role at GDIT, I'm the Vice President for uh, GDIT's HHS or Health and Human Services business area. That includes all of uh, HHS operating divisions except for CMS and NIH. So uh, we are almost a thousand professionals within this business area and we are aligned to our federal health sector um, goals of um, supporting Health IT for agencies, mission support, and and science for all the agencies under HHS. So wow. that's my role. Awesome. So now if let's start with, can you tell me about what is low code and why should the government look to implement it? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, first of all, statistically, so far, um, low code is proven to be faster cheaper in deployment, and sustainable than traditional uh, development. And we have seen an unprecedented unprecedented increase uh, over the last maybe around 36 months within federal government uh, going for low-code kind of development. Um, and what we, what we have found also is a, a safe average is that low code is around 70% faster and easier than high code development. This is just a forester estimate, but the studies done on individual products within that low code environment are often much more dramatic. It's also definitely cheaper in labor costs. And I say that because whenever we go to a client as GDIT, we we consult them not only, okay, you've given us a contract for building this product in low code or this project in low code, but what is the sustainability for that? Because, you know, sustainability can take, be taken multiple ways. So low code is certainly cheaper on the labor costs from what we have found, uh, but licensing costs can differ from product to product. And, and, uh, Customer needs to be aware of that, and we we kind of uh, you know make them aware of that. That's the first point. Um, the second point is there are many advantages of adopting low code, um, and if I have to list them, uh, I would say speed of development, adaptability of software, uh, and expanding the developer pool, both in nurturing new professionals. IT developers and in empowering business people outside of IT who are called citizen developers. This is a concept that is really getting some traction, the citizen development. And all three are very real, well-documented. Um, and they also naturally lead to a big increase in experimentation and innovation and in software. 
Also, low code can lead to a long-term reduction in technical debt, which we, you know, find a lot in traditional development. Example, for example, the, the platforms that engage in low code can update their technology and your customer applications don't need to be redeveloped. Now, this is, this is with a caveat. It doesn't apply if you are adding custom code or only if you are only using and you have to use the platform's native tooling. And there are multiple versions and you know, if you want to double click on it, this, there can be a whole talk on that. But I just feel that that has to be uh, highlighted. So there is a reduction in technical debt with a caveat. And then the government has some unique requirements, you know, in adopting low code, such as FedRAMP uh, certification. So there are very low, few low code vendors that have FedRAMP. So that's an important thing for any low code vendor who wants to um, come into um, the government. Also, if you need on-premises deployment versus cloud, that narrows that list even further. And and the last point I would say is we, we are seeing a slow adoption in federal government. Uh, as far as uh, another survey I was reading from Forrester, they say that less than 28% of developers in U.S. government uh, say that their org either has low code or plans to adopt it. Now, compare that to the average for all other industries globally, and that service is that's at 71%. So I think we have a, uh, we have a good, uh, long growth potential uh, in that aspect. Yes. Do you have any examples of some successful low code implementation that you've seen in the government? Yes. Uh, I mean, in fact, you know, if I can do a shameless pitch, uh, you know, GDIT <laughs> does a few things with, uh, from a regulatory standpoint within FDA. We have done some procurement systems and, um, you know, resource, uh, resource management systems at CDC. We have done some work at ACF. So, so apart from all that, we have also seen some, um, examples in the military outside, um, you know, in low code, some, something related to procurement, scheduling for military operations, broad digitization strategies that is, you know, get off paper, uh, for example. Or one major federal agency is currently rewriting their uh, payroll system on a local platform. Uh, some finance-related federal agencies are pursuing formal citizen development strategies, which is very exciting. Uh, and some significant COVID-related apps, this should not be a surprise, right, for federal government were also written in low code. Okay, so now AI and machine learning, are, are they intersecting with the low code environment? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Now everyone, uh, everyone wants to talk about chat GPT, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, that really means that generative AI, which is, you know, GPT-4, uh, is definitely on everyone's radar right now. Uh, every local platform of significance has generative AI on its immediate um, roadmap. Um, also AI ML services, whether native or pre-integrated with the hyperscalers are a very standard low-code feature. For example, training simple ML models um, for document intelligence, photo recognition, industry-specific algorithms, etc. So yeah, I mean, AI ML is catching on even to that environment. Yeah, I noticed that myself. I, I use the platform Canva, which does graphic design, yes. and that's implemented a bunch of AI into a lot of different parts of it. So it just seems like everywhere you look now, there's AI. Yes, I was actually talking to a friend who was, um, who is embarking on a startup uh, and he told me, Samish, how do I do 
um, logos. I said, go to Logo Maker. And he went there and he could generate a logo in like literally mm-hmm. half an hour. And he had like 1,800 choices. Like yeah, yeah, it's amazing. amazing. I created an entire PowerPoint presentation by just putting a few words in. It was, it oh, was wow. amazing. Yeah. Wow. So now what teams are in charge of developing low-code development? Yeah, you know, this is a good time to touch upon that concept I mentioned of uh, citizen development. And, um, you know, I'm learning a little bit more about it, but it is, it's been there. And, um, you know, uh, so these are when business people outside of IT do development work, typically using low code platforms. Uh, they may also work on so-called fusion teams where uh, professional technologists and citizen developers work on a solution together. That means both of, both of them are developing. Now, note that this is different from having someone on the IT team, for example, a business analyst. You know, it, that's not the same as citizen development. The The definition is based on your job and where you sit in the org, not whether you are a coder or were a coder before. So that's a very uh, interesting uh, concept, especially in a tight labor market and, you know, resources, not necessarily getting up to speed with low code. That is that is an extremely exciting concept. And then um, it's also very real. The citizen development is also very real. The overwhelming majority of firms have a citizen developer strategy in place or are planning one. And the most common inquiry is how to scale and govern a citizen developer strategy. Uh, very exciting. I mean, I'm going to follow that myself because I'm hearing about it a lot. The implications are a few because of this, right? Uh, number one is development will become a skill spectrum, not a job, and and not many uh, non-technical roles, and and many non-technical roles will be expected to use local products, just as they use personal productivity tools, for example, email, spreadsheets, PowerPoint, etc. Today, and that the IT, and then the second one is the IT operating model will need to evolve to accommodate this. Uh, this, this change is almost analogous to uh, the adoption of the personal computer, if I can use that analogy. <laughs> the, the, the other thing is, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, who who kind of owns this is, you know, it's important to have strategic partnerships too for for uh, SIs like GDIT in order to build that out because not everything can be done internally. Although, you know, we also uh, have implemented an internal system in GlowCode. Uh, which going back to my point of having less technical debt, which means that, you know, we not only are going and consulting our clients on low code, but there is a major business process system within our uh, company that we are implemented in local. So that's also important to know. Um, and we, we also continually invest. I can only speak to our, for, for ourselves in this case. We continually invest in our um, highly trained workforce to be able to deliver low code or the out of the possible, if you will, for our clients. And this kind of includes identifying who's the technical team who has the hunger to go to that next level and adopt um, the, the trending low code environment. Okay. Is there anything else that agencies should be aware of when it comes to low code? Um, yeah, personally, my opinion is like most IT solutions, right? Um, low code is by itself, it isn't a magic wand. Um, they have uh, vendor specific limitations and we need to accept those limitations for our given use cases 
uh, unless, you know, there is, there is always a choice to code an extension or a customization to fill the gap or configure it in a certain way that, that it fills the gap. But, uh, they are powerful and commonly used for, uh, they are powerful and commonly used for, uh, important and complex enterprise software. It's a, it's a pragmatic choice overall. The second part is, or the second point is it should be properly governed especially citizen development, if you are going that route. This requires a serious, you know, transformation strategy, uh, not just a set of rules, in my opinion. And then, um, and we have to be very careful with security controls and configurations. The platform may be technically secure, but uh, you as the customer or we as developers will be responsible for configuring and managing access controls and other security-related rules correctly. This is especially true for developing public-facing portals, which have led to data leaks from, you know, some platforms in the last couple of years because some developers misconfigured them. And that we have to be very careful. We have to build the security along with the development of the project, not make it an afterthought. We we always... So we have started implementing that within our um, organization too, where... Um, our, our developers are always asking questions about security before, <laughs> uh, um, rather than before, you know, in traditional development, we used to make that an afterthought and make sure that it, everything is secure. Okay. And, you know, this is, again, this is not, uh, unique to low code and would apply to any software offering, but it's possible that the audience might assume that, uh, low code makes all security concerns go away. It doesn't. Yeah. No. That's that's very true. Well, Samish, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Maria. I hope I added some value. Thank you for listening. For more episodes, check us out at govforum.io or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And please subscribe, give us five stars, and share with your friends.